Welcome to First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. So welcome to episode six of season three. Last week we had a little bit of a hiatus and I appreciate you listeners for being patient with this one. Um, Also, usually episode six will be the last of a season for me, but I think I might do a couple more and uh, stagger out the releases, so just be on the lookout. Today is a slightly different format as we talk to Derek Roberts, a designer and art director currently living in England. We met a couple years ago when we were both at Nike over in Oregon. His family came to the UK from the Caribbean by way of St. Vincent and Barbados. We talk about his early days growing up in England and how he got his start in the product and apparel world by taking creative risk. This eventually got him a job in Ohio and at Abercrombie & Fitch, which led to his dream job at Nike. Then we also get into how he connected with the classic American brand Pendleton, where he got to work with both Marvel and Star Wars brands. But before that, I just want to thank our sponsor, Des Jin. Des Jin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. So before we get started, I wanted to talk to Derek today because not only is he a good friend and it's an excuse for us to catch up, but we both made a difficult decision to leave a comfortable creative life in order to grow. I think today's conversation is about what it means to live your dream and the importance of being true to yourself. So um, I hope you guys really get something out of it. Um, so without further ado, here's Derek Roberts. Welcome back to New York. Thank you. How long have you been back in the city for now? It's well, it's been about four days. It's been about four days. Uh-huh. Intense training days. <laughs> what does that even mean? Oh, intense training, <laughs> like actual being on the train. It's days. just life training. It's just like intense. I would. I was saying to. I was telling a friend that basically a day in New York is like a week in London. In terms of the intensity and just the energy level. Really? Yeah. So how hard has it been acclimating back to the city? I think it's kind of easy because I was was saying to a friend that, you know, I think that New York kind of feels like part of me, that there's certain places that I've lived for a certain amount of time that as soon as I hit the ground and talk to one person or go to a store, Mm -hmm. it's like I've never left. It's like home. How long have you been away from New York? Oh, so I think roughly it's probably been like six years. Wow. But I've always kind of gone back maybe once or twice a year for right. various things for work and just catch up with friends and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, are you doing any work out here right now or are you just kind of like Not cruising? really, just taking it in and just, you know, just being really nosy, really just <laughs> tapping into what some of my friends are doing. Like, right. Oh, what are you working on? Do you need any help? That kind of thing. <laughs> but not technically working. Sure, just, sure, sure. Just, just being, cruising. Be, being an observer, taking, in, taking in culture, absorbing it. Got it. So, well, well, now that we're all hot and heavy in the conversation, Derek Roberts, hey. it's good to see you. Good to see you too, young man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you seem uh, revitalized, revitalized back in the city. I know last time I saw you was a year ago. Uh, but for our listeners, uh, we know each other because we both worked at the Swoosh together. Yeah, we shared a really special time in Portland together, and uh, you were one of the one of the more uh, positive uh, forces there and like we're really like a great like um, uh, bringing together of people a lot of people centralized around you and like I think the group that you help bring together so uh, I, I appreciate you for that yeah well thank you yeah and also you're one of the, like a great designer and also you have a impeccable taste and uh, and uh, as as we always start I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about where you're from um, uh, your family and uh, let's go from there Okay, so I was actually born in England, if you haven't, can't tell the accent. I couldn't tell at all. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I know, so weird. So my, parent, so my parents, actually, they're both from the Caribbean, so I am technically, I am first generation English. Right. 
which is which has been interesting. And the fact is that my parents are from two different islands in the Caribbean. So my 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 dad is from a place called Saint Vincent. Okay. So people call him Vincentians, mm-hmm. Vinci people. And my mom's from Barbados, and I always say, Bob, my mom's like, you know, she's from Rihanna country because I think that everyone always knows everyone knows Rihanna's accent, and they just it helps them grasp Barbados. So right. I mean, that's kind of an easy an easy avenue. So yeah. So I always say it's kind of interesting, like it's the house of Benetton, kind of culturally that we've <laughs> everyone has a different accent in a way. So it's always been kind of interesting, like having like English friends over who are like, oh, I love your dad. I love the way he speaks. I don't know what he's saying, but He's just cool. He's just. <laughs> <laughs> How did your parents get from the Caribbean to the UK? So um, my parents were part of the, they call it the Windrush generation. So I think that in the 60s, I've probably got this wrong. People are going to sue me for it. Um, <laughs> um, the England's, obviously the Caribbean were part of the colony. And so they allowed people from the Caribbean to kind of come over to, to England on like a, you know, free visas. And so a lot of people from the Caribbean decided to come to England to search for a, a better life. Right. And so my parents, obviously not knowing each other, they decided to you know come to England and um, see you know what they could do. And so my my dad generally came over to kind of find a trade. My mum came over as a trainee nurse. Right. So she came over with her sister, and they yeah, and they both kind of trained together. And you know, as time progressed, you know, she was going out meeting people. She kind of stumbled across my dad. Or he probably he probably saw and was like, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bit smooth. He was a very he was very he was a, he was a very smooth man, smoother than me. Because <laughs> I saw pictures, very snappy dress. He's always oh, really? he's always he's he was just that guy you see like even like now he's a guy just wearing a really tight, really kind of clean suit, just really kind of clean style and just nice shoes. And he always had a car. He, my dad was like, it's always about the cars. So the cars were always like new brand car. Super polished, super shiny, and he'd always have his like you know his catalog pose for all the pictures that he took with all of his friends. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, uh, the, well, I feel that uh, this is really interesting because when I was a kid, I always looked at my dad. My dad was always wearing like Christian Dior tracksuits and stuff, yeah. and he had like chains, medallions, he had rings on, and he, I always looked at him as like you know here is what I want to hold myself up to uh, from a standard of steeziness, yeah, you know, and I, I feel like that's the same way for you, yeah. And I think it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny you say that because I mean that's pretty what led us in the world of design. There's a whole idea of right. like from the early age. We, I mean, obviously when you're a kid, you don't really know what design is, but you're kind of very exposed to, I guess, like the styling of you know of the way people look and just you know the environment that you're kind of put in. Right. And I think that for me, it's like you know, obviously being a kid in England, like my parents from the Caribbean, so my influences as a kid. I mean, I remember going to like soca parties and soca parties. Soca is like a type of music from the Caribbean. Okay, um, it's hard to explain exactly. Different from what's it's happening outside, right? Similar, but less okay. bass. Got it. I, I mean, for, I was, the, for the listener, I live in a two-floor walk-up, so outside the door, there's just like yeah. literally like music blasting out there. And I'd pretty say, like, in terms of like Caribbean music, everyone's everyone knows what reggae is, right? <laughs> so I always think like soca is like a turned-down version. Soka is sorry, it's like a turned down version of reggae. The beats are usually not as hard, and it's it's got a more of a kind of chirpy sound. It's it's just more fun. It's it's just I would say good kind of clean. Well, maybe not clean. It can be a little bit racy sometimes, uh-huh. but it definitely has a good kind of vibe. You don't really get many fights at Soka Pies. <laughs> 
Um, so going back to your parents and uh, coming into uh, going to the UK, right? Yeah. Like, what was the what, what's what's the cultural shift from the Caribbean to the UK? Did, did they ever talk about like the differences and and how that affected like your upbringing necessarily? Yeah, they did actually. It's really shocking because I think that you know my dad being a obviously a black man from the Caribbean that. His experience to my mum was very different. So, I mean, he was very much, I'd say, like, on the front line. So, moving to town England, there was, like, a really small black community. And, obviously, there was definitely kind of frictions between, I, I say, locals. But, you know, yeah, the people who were born and bred in English, like, white English people. Right. Some were very were very kind of accommodating. But there was also some who were, who were kind of like, I don't want you in the country. So... I've heard from my dad like various stories of just things that kind of happen just you know um, generally just at certain times that, that at certain nights he, I mean police would recommend that you know he didn't go to certain places or you know the guys that he hung with like you guys don't shouldn't really be here because they might be trouble right. purely because of just racial kind of tensions within the area really yeah is that something that you ever felt growing up or was that is that feel different from a generational perspective I think as a generation perspective, I think things changed. I think that being in the 80s in England, I mean, it's funny because I think that it was, it was a very brutal time in terms of there was a real honesty. And I think that in America, it was the same kind of honesty in terms of advertising. That I always remember like watching, I watched MTV a lot as well as a kid right. in England, that one of my really kind of strong memories was watching, you know, when they held the whole AIDS epidemic, I'm talking about epidemic. Yeah in um, America and they used to have those really hard adverts which were grey and black and they were saying well if you don't wear a condom you might die right, blah, blah, right, blah. Right, right. and it was that very kind of that stark reality it wasn't there wasn't the adverts weren't colourful they are very dark very dingy very serious and I felt that life in the 80s in England was very very serious but I mean you had fun but then it, it definitely was more kind of rugged right. it, it wasn't as PC that people sell, said what they what they thought I mean I, I think that I didn't really experience a lot of racism. I mean, people would call me things now and again, but I felt that the people who have, what would say, Pakistani, sure, they probably had it worse in a way. Oh, really? In, in my generation, because I think that <clears throat> they were the new people, the new immigrants in that time in that Got time it. period, and I think that a lot of people, and in the eighties, obviously, a lot of people lost their jobs. So there was a recession. Yeah, the same thing that's happened in America. That I felt right. that people felt that they had something they had to blame the recession on someone right and so some people meant some people would say that you know the foreigners have come in they take our jobs right the same thing that you know, they say right, here yeah yeah about mexicans right. mexican people in general right and so i think that there were the same kind of tensions at that period of time which was i mean it's it's become it's sad sadly it's become right part of life because i think that now the the new i guess immigrants are Eastern European Polish people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Eastern European Polish people in, in the UK, you mean? Yeah, in the UK. Yeah, oh, sorry, that's interesting. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Okay, so I I want to stick to that before we before we go back a little bit. Like, yeah. what, what what is the current vibe in the UK with with the Brexit situation? Um, I mean, of course, we can read about it, but like, like when you're physically there, like, what, what is what is the mentality and what is the, what is the level of optimism versus non-optimism right now? Well, the strange thing, I think... As me being a black English guy, that I think that I've kind of seen the transition in the way that people think. That I think that people more of my generation, the more open to other cult. Well, I would say some people are the people have actually travelled and met different cultures. They're more open minded to, um, I guess, the way you know you mix with people. 
And I think that in terms of being black as well, that I think that black people have integrated more into English culture because mm-hmm. of the time frame. Because I think that most of the, the immigration from the Caribbean happened in the 60s. So right. people have had that time period to kind of get used to seeing black faces everywhere. So right. black people are very much like, oh, we're English now. So right. the new, and then Asian people have started to kind of, to assimilate as well into the culture. So people right. now seeing Indian people as being English a little bit more. And I think it's more of a timing thing that people are really against newness. It's like everything against newness at first because they don't know the culture, but when they actually get to know people from that culture, mm-hmm. it becomes easier for them to accept the nuances and the differences. And I think that, as I said before, the different people from different places coming in that it, it kind of gets better through time. But sure. Sure. For different people in, yeah, I mean, over time. Yeah, over time. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. It. And um, uh, to take it back a yeah. little bit. So, uh, how did you, um, how did you begin your time, like, uh, within your creative world? How did you get creative? How did you also like? Uh, what was your upbringing like uh, within that high school, college time? Okay, so. Yeah, so it's interesting. So like based based on where I, you know was the Caribbean aspects right. of my life, so that was always simmering. So I think that creativity that I always saw the energy, the vibrancy of color, but none of my family generally did design. So they came from the Caribbean. So they they mainly had, I would say, more not manual, maybe manual is the best way. Sure, because around that time period, not many people were web designers. You know, they didn't really know fashion designers. I didn't know any fashion designers. I didn't know any right, but web designers. So to me, that was like a world that I didn't really understand. But I think right. growing up as a kid, I just loved to draw. So from the age of, I don't even know when I started drawing, but I used to just draw Garfield. Garfield was my favorite character. <laughs> and I used to love the kind of the simple light, you know, Jim Davis's simple lines, the colors, and it was kind of quirky and funny. And I think that that pretty relates a lot to, you know, who I am as an adult now, like my humor level, right. sarcasm, and just like the simplicity of dying and just the, the really kind of simple pop colors. And I think that that was one of my influences, I, I would probably say like 12 years old, whatever, right. that something that really kind of stuck in my mind because I have all my Garfield pictures and stuff like that. Right. And um, It is funny how Garfield really affected a lot of people, specifically for our yeah. age group. Because uh, for me, I had like a bunch of Garfield books growing up and I would yeah. buy them in like elementary school. Uh, and yeah, it wasn't until I got to college when I started getting a little more cynical <laughs> and then I started seeing Garfield as something that was like potentially like low brow but then now I'm just like yeah. oh wait no that is cool what am I talking about yeah but I think it's one of those things that it's it's a way it's an easy way for, for kids to understand design in a way well it's not really design but it's the whole idea it's of, a type of design it's a type of design that it's, accept, it's not accessible to people it's easy accessible people because I think that when I was a kid I never went to museums or anything like that so all my creativity was based around my own imagination and the things I saw around me and I think it was only until I don't even I think it was probably around the age of like 11 that I started to be interested in football so I started to buy magazines Okay, and then I, I got really interested in the way things were laid out and I started to see like sports brands like Nike yeah. mainly Adidas actually and it was it was just the it was mainly because um, they were very ingrained in English co- English sporting culture in terms of football. And then when you're at that age, yeah, every eleven year old wants to be a footballer in England. It's like the number one sport, and and that's what you want to do, right? So you pick a team. At lunchtime, you play football, and, and it's ingrained in your culture. <clears throat> it's ingrained in English culture, and that's why you know if you ever go to England and you're stuck for something to say, always mention football, and everyone's got an opinion because. Um, do you still guess, play on the weekends? 
Not so much now. But I think I have, I know a lot of friends who do. And I think it's funny because I think football's, um, it's something that people do generation to generation. So my dad came over from the Caribbean, but then he started watching watching football in England and his favourite team was Liverpool mm-hmm. because Liverpool had a Caribbean player called John Barnes. And John Barnes was one of the best players hmm. in that time period. So that's got what got me interested in the sport itself with that, that link. And my dad obviously loves cricket because everyone from the Caribbean loves cricket. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guys do in the World Cup this year? Uh, well, it wasn't too bad. I, I think that, well, football's such a big thing in England that when, when England's winning, everyone's happy. Right. And people who don't like football, they like football. At the <laughs> time. At the time, because there's such a community that, you know, everyone goes out, everyone goes to the pub, and it's it just brings people together. And, it, and it's really interesting the types of people you see at the at the games or at the pubs. They're not mm. people who, who generally know anything about the game, but they, right. they just want to be part of something. Right. Yeah. Can you tell me about cricket? What exactly is this game? Can can you explain it just a little bit and try to help me understand the the structure of it a bit? I mean, I've seen it. I know what the what all the accoutrements look like, but oh no, this is going to get intense. Yeah. Oh, is it really going to get intense? <laughs> well, well, no. It's funny because I think that because of the, obviously the English connection with my dad, because when English people went over, I guess colonized the Caribbean, they brought a lot of things with them. Obviously, like religion. And sport, right. and the biggest sport in England at that time was cricket. So, so the people from from England they introduced that to the locals, and then they took that sport and ran with it. And it's all the same in India. So, if you actually look at the superpowers of the cricket world, which you don't know about, yes, they, I know nothing about. They're, this. they're actually countries which were generally colonised by England, apart from Got Australia, and New Zealand. So, the powerhouses are Pakistan, India, um. There's someone that I'm missing that I can't remember until my head. <laughs> obviously, England's kind of, they're not necessarily a pass, but they're a very good side. And obviously, right. so you've got West Indies, yeah. Right, right, Being right. The, the kind of the bigger names in the sport. Huh. And I always equate cricket to a little bit like basketball, no, a little bit to like baseball. Right. I think that's, 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 that's the that's that's America's. Easy way, yeah, the easy way to kind of explain it. Obviously, it's a very different sport, but... It's the whole there's idea a bat. of like, yeah, there's a bat. There's a bat involved. There's someone bowling. You've got to hit the ball. <laughs> right, right, right. And exactly. Got, and then you've got to run around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, no, yeah. You've got to run around, but you've basically... You stand I've heard in, those games can go for hours, though. They can, yeah. They can. Until, but why? Until everyone's caught out. You have like overs and things like that. I mean, it's, it's very hard to explain. It, I, um, I know what we're going to say. I was going to say, because I don't really know all of it myself. But <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know little bits and pieces. I mean, I, I have played, but... You know, because the funny thing is, I always people are like, oh, so what do you play at school? And I was like, cricket. And they're like, what? And I was like, so English. I was like, well, yeah, the most like, English. It is. Yeah, everyone in England. I mean, the, the staple games you play are cricket, rugby, um, grass hockey, and all my American friends laugh because I was like, I love grass hockey, love it. Grass hockey, grass hockey, hockey. Oh, just regular hockey, but yeah, on grass. On the grass, yeah. Got it. Okay. And then obviously football. I mean, and do actually play basketball as well. But everyone usually plays basketball really badly because, <laughs> and we're all kind of like. Five eight. <laughs> so, oh, so are any- British people just short in general? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's just a most there's most English people don't really play basketball to a really high level, so it's very rare that you meet someone who's really good at basketball because they, they actually most people who are really big they either play basketball or so they always play rugby or or football. I mean, that's because right. it's it's a bigger sport within that country, and I think that in America most athletes would either go to play, you know, if they're that be that 
you know, if they're big and beefy yeah. they, and they can run, they probably would play football, American football or basketball over playing soccer. Really? Yeah. And how much uh, how much did sport really affect you when you were growing up? Like from a physical aspect, you were playing it. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that sports definitely ingrained in me, and I think that that's also aligned with just design. Because right. I think that it's funny that I was thinking I was going through my old sketchbook as a kid, and I, I had loads of references to things that I kind of liked as a as a fifteen year old. And I realized that, you know, being at my age now, that a lot of those things, I've actually been part of those companies, like, you know, Nike, right. all those things. That, You've worked at a lot of really interesting companies, yeah. actually. And it is it is weird that I've had all these things kind of interlaced in my life. Like, I lived in Ohio, and I went to, I, I, my friend introduced me to LeBron James. Right. And I went to a game when he was a kid. And then the funny thing was that I ended up at Nike. And then, right. Actually, wait, wait so yeah, okay. let, let's take it back for a second. Like, so, so you leave university... Yeah. And you're presumably you you got a you got a degree uh, in design, yes or yeah. yeah. So my story was I went to I went to university. In, yeah, I want to know how you got oh, here. Okay, because you because to to be completely transparent, you're 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 different from everyone else I've ever talked to for this podcast. In that you've lived here, you emigrated here, but then you left here too. Yeah, and and like you know by choice. So it's it's it, there's an there's an interesting mindset that I want to kind of dip into about the person who comes here and then leaves and then like you know but the future is still wide open I'm so curious so I think as a, I think as a kid this is this really sounds really weird I, was, I remember I was like maybe maybe like 16 or something like that and I used to hang out with local friends but I think I always had this thing inside of me that I always wanted to meet different people and I used to invite my friends like let's go to another area and meet these people and they never wanted to so I was always the one who was searching for newness and I realised that that's something that's always been with me and when I got to the age of universities, I started to look at universities. Obviously, I live outside London, and I wanted to go to London because it's a city. Everything happens, but they also looked outside the local areas, places that I've never been, that I'd never really visit as a, you know, suddenly in my early 20s. And then so I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this place called Loughborough in the middle of England. What is it called? Loughborough. 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 Yeah. And the funny thing about Loughborough, it's one of the top sports universities and art colleges in the country. Oh really? Yeah. So a lot of the um, a lot of the pe- the people who go there are internationals in various sports. So you have like international runners who go there to train because their facilities are phenomenal. But also in that respect, they have a really great art college as well. And I always wanted to go to art college, and I was like, this could be great. So I ended up going to Loughborough, and um, because I was really interested in the kind of creative creativity side of thing, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I. I actually signed up for a course called Multimedia Textiles. And so it, it the course was all about innovation. <clears throat> so it, it was very unusual course that they didn't really, they didn't really have this course anywhere else in, in England. So the course was split into three different kind of fragments. So um, for the first kind of semester you did, you learned about, I think it was print design. The second semester was weave. And then the third, what they, they call it traditionally multimedia. So multimedia was, was very open in terms of what it could be so the idea behind the course was that you create them you could either create the material that you want to use or you can manipulate things that you found and create something new in that respect and those ideas could flow into fashion or flow into i guess into industry as in it, like, it could be a composite that you use on a car it could be furniture it could be whatever you want to do so after the first year I was I was kind of thinking I could do all these things, but then I was like, "Tech, well, we textile sounds amazing." So you just have to create things. 
Right. You don't necessarily know need to know where the endpoint is, but once you create a material or you learn to manipulate something in a certain way, you can work out where that thing ends up. And, and was this very uh, tactile? Uh, tactile course and tactile direction for you from a creation standpoint because I know that we work very much within a digital space but yeah. but even at, at Nike I always knew you to be like very much a ma- uh, materials guy as well and very knowledgeable in that space yeah I mean that's you pretty much nailed it and I think that from that course I was like well this could be exciting because this I can pretty much do anything there's no one can say no because I'm like well it's about innovation so and there's no rules and I, I actually kind of love that as a as a student so I, I put myself really into it and as you know the years progressed I was there for three years I actually kind of found like a a rhythm of a way of working on different things and when I actually find like when I in my final year I had this really great I was talking to a friend of mine who did graphic design and I was kind of like what happens I mean I'm kind of out there to be honest I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell people I just do things I do things based on gut and just to kind of push the boundaries Mm-hmm. so I talked to my friend I was like so well you do graphics I don't really do graphics I don't know anything about graphics but I kind of think that maybe we can use our pl- platforms for our final show so if we design if we do a project together I can have my work in your space in graphics right and you can have your my space in um, the textile department so it was a way of like selling ourselves right to, di- right. to different market so we kind of so the idea that we had was that um my final show was based around deconstruction in the home so I because being a college student I didn't really live in the nicest house but I could always like pick up on imperfections and so from looking at the imperfections I kind of judgmental since (laughs) since an early age exactly maybe I was (laughs) maybe I was searching for perfection in some way so by seeing those imperfections in the the house I kind of looked at it um, best way to describe it if there was a crack in the wall it reminded me of like the folding fabric. So I was kind of thinking, how can I create that thing in a fabric form? And right. so the, my process will take photographs of all these things and then make like fabric samples. It might be make getting, create, <clears throat> finding fabrics of different textures that I felt felt like parts of the home. So I might use like denim, silk. And I, I first of all made some basic kind of collages of those things. Mm-hmm. And then... I decided, and after that, I was kind of thinking, well, how can I create like something more textual? So I use various laminates, glues, silicones, or whatever, right. cut into them, dye them, and then I started to kind of create a range. So it was, it was kind of a bit arty in a way. And um, so, so from doing this, I was kind of thinking, well, this could be really cool if I made a dress or I made a garment right. based around these things. So I actually made samples around the different kind of ideas. So the and then one of the whole idea was that the biggest element of deconstruction in the home is fire. And then one of my friends friends said to me, he's like, we're going to do set everything on fire. <laughs> and I was like, sounds like a challenge. We find a project. And I was kind of thinking, whoa, that could be a really amazing idea, a really amazing visual that in my head, I was like, my brain was like, the light bulb went off. Right. And I was thinking, okay, destruction. I've got all these nice samples, but then if I made a dress, really nice formed dress and then set it on fire and had like the hang, the, the sorry the um, burnt dress hanging up in a white space mm. it'd feel like a gallery space and I was like right. there's something about that that's so impactful compared right. to like next to all these nice pretty samples so then it's it tells a really kind of cohesive story or a really great narrative right and so from there 
I talked to my friend and I was like, what happens? You're good at editing. So why don't we, do, why don't you tell my, my story as designer, like as a creative. So the story is that I'm in my bedroom, make, building these sketchbooks, ripping pages out of my book. You film that. Then you show my samples, me making the samples. And then you, you pan out to parts of the house. So it's telling that really strong narrative. And then you, the final aspect of it could be me holding the dress up, throwing it on the floor and then manically pouring petrol in it, setting light. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and I was like, Let's- that was the last show before you graduated university. Yeah. And I was like, and I, because part of me was like, I need to be nosed. I need people to see me. Yeah. And I was also maybe a little bit jammy, maybe fortunate, but I always end up, I, I, I got offered a couple of plays before I finished. Right. So part of me was like, well, I've got, I've already got traction. I just need to get people's attention. I need people to look at me because I was like, I'm a student. I don't know anything, but. I feel that I've got something to give. Right. And then uh, when you graduated, what was your first move afterwards? So before I graduated, I was offered a placement um, to work in New York, funny enough. Okay. So I was going to, so I came out to New York to work for a stu- uh, sorry, a small textile studio. And what, the, what year was this? 2001, I think. Maybe wow. it's 2000, it's a long time. Kind of old. I think it was like maybe it's 2001 hey man right there with you my brain my brain's my brain's forgetting things all the time so and this is after 9-11 before 9-11 this was before wow yeah it's it's really weird I mean I have so many anyway but (laughs) we're going to that in a minute (laughs) and so yeah so I went out there as an intern so I worked for this company called The Style Counts so my initial job was just designing small printers small repeat prints and that was just, I, I got that based on what they saw in my final show because I had photography, illustrations, but I also had these pieces. And I think that they really liked the versatility in, in the work that I did. And so th- I came over to the intern and I started working on on those kind of things. So I'd make small collages for T-shirts and just illustrate things. And I, I did use Illustrate at a very basic level. And I think that was the first time that I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know. I kind of know a little bit of Illustrate, but... I don't know enough and I need to learn quickly. Right, right, right. And so then I, I actually invested in the computer and I bought a book and I was like, what? Well, I need to learn. So a lot of the skills I learned were very self-taught and I, I was the annoying intern that asked so many questions Then like, <laughs> he's really nice but he asked too many questions. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> he just talks so damn much. <laughs> and, I, and I got that and a part of me was like, I kind of felt a bit put out that, you know, they didn't say it to me, but then I was like, you know, it's life. I mean, I'm at that stage now that it doesn't annoy me when people always question, but I could understand that, that, you know, they were doing their job at that particular time. Yeah. And so that's kind of like how my kind of progress, <clears throat> I get progress, progression in, into graphics happened. Yeah. And then once, and then when I was in, in um, New York, obviously, I actually got offered another placement in Paris and they're like, hey, we want you to work in Paris based on this work we saw at university. It's mm-hmm. exciting. And then I basically, um, I think I went back to England for a small period of time. And then I, I was in, I was in, um, yeah, in Paris. And I was thinking to myself, this design stuff's easy. Yeah. <laughs> this is easy. Like, it's like, pff, it just comes to you. Like right, that. right, and, right. Um, so I worked for a So small- easy to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then I'm like, obviously I'm an intern. <laughs> right. I'm not like making big bucks. I'm an intern. So it's kind of like, I'm kind of hide hell to a certain respect. Yeah. So I worked um a company called Pez Design. So I was doing the same kind of thing, just working on, small kind of collages, illustrations um, for fashion. They were mainly for fashion companies like Miss 60 at the time. So like the teenage market, teenage girl market, mm-hmm. which was pretty interesting to me because I, I liked it, but then I also was like, 
I don't know if this is really my thing, right. but I just kind of try to enjoy the experience for what it was. Right. Yeah. Sorry, there's like a ton of noise out there. <laughs> this is like the most, this is like noisier than usual, considering. Then I'm here. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Derek Roberts in the building. That's <laughs> exactly. how you know. Exactly. in the house, yo. Hands <laughs> <laughs> up. Yeah. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. when you, so you're here in New York, and then, yeah. so you go to Paris, you don't go to Paris. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I go to Paris. Okay. And I work, I work in Paris for, I think, like two, three months. Amazing. I mean, but... But to be honest, my French is not amazing at all. It's not even very good. But the funny thing is that I think that part of me, I've always had this thing inside of me. It's like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I feel that I need to do it because if I don't do it, I'm really going to regret it. And yeah. it's like kind of baptism of fire that I'm kind of scared like everyone else. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, I don't want to miss opportunity. I don't want to look back and think, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. And I yeah, me like, too. Well, I'm, I'm the exact I'm, same way. And I'm just kind of like, do it. Right. <laughs> And so I did it, and I enjoyed it. But then I, I, I realized that it's, it was just the moment in time, and it was a great moment. And then I came back to England. Yeah. Because I had to have an operation, boring story anyway. But um, So, yeah, I had to have an operation. So I couldn't really do anything for a couple of months. And mm-hmm. then um, I joined an agency, just a general kind of textile designer agency. And I ended up getting a job at a place called Dizzler, Dizzler mm-hmm. Designs. And so they basically did the same similar kind of things I've done in the past but they did it for um, more retail companies I think they they've they're well more well known for production in terms of production uniforms so they did work with like Nike and a couple of English companies called Marks and Spencers gotcha and yeah and I I, I I think I freelanced there and then I got a job I ended up getting a job there and I worked there for a couple of years wow and um, a few of my colleagues left and one of my colleagues actually went to Ted Bake and then he actually went to America to, to Abercrombie Fish. Right. Oh, and, and that's how you got to Ohio. Yeah, yeah. So he was the he was the first link to America. And um, the funny thing about that that yeah, I realized that when I was in America the first time, I actually did work that was bought by Abercrombie, but I actually never knew the brand. I didn't know anything. To be honest, I didn't really know anything about the brand. I just did some designs they bought, and I was like, "Cool, I got paid." Yeah, <laughs> and right. I remember when I was growing up, Abercrombie used yeah. to be the shit. Yeah, growing and, up, at least in the in the mid nineties, like uh, yeah. Americana, and even like they they were getting into like a like a tech, um, like windbreaker pant world. Also, like yeah. like ribbed um, mock turtlenecks, like that was a big thing. And I know that their stores in the mall and uh, their their uh, photographic campaigns are always so iconic, um, and the vibe that they put out and. Um, yeah, it was really. It was to me. It was really part of like that late '90s, like especially like, you know, pop boy band like Americana. It's like it's iconic. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed it. And and I think the funny thing. So he went out there, and then one day I can remember, always remember it was a rainy day in England. Well, we had basically four seasons in one day. It was hot. It was sunny. It was rainy. It was snowy. And then it. I, and then I thought the world was going to end. I was like, this is horrible. And then my phone rang. And someone's like, hey, Petey Nagel from Abercrombie. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was pretty much a reaction. I was like, what are you? I, I was what like, is Who that? Who are you? And I was like, Abercrombie? He's like, yeah, Abercrombie. And I was like, yeah, James, stop being an idiot. My friend James <laughs> went to America and he always liked to kind of, I say, wind me up. Sure. And I thought he was kind of faking it. And they were like, no, he was like, no, I'm really am from Abercrombie. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool because I was like, well, you know. Right. Kind of, I knew they were bigger at that stage and. And then he was like, yeah, we've heard about you and um, we just basically want to show some work and maybe do what a project was, for what us. What was the work that they had seen that had that put you on their put you on their radar? 
I felt like it was mainly more of a recommendation. So my colleague recommended, he's like, do you know any great designers? And I think that my name was one of the names that he mentioned at that time. And I feel that I didn't really have a proper website or things established because, I mean, I was I was still finding my feet sure. in terms of, you know, what I wanted to do. And so they sent me a project to do. And um, so I did oh, my, like a test. But yeah, like a test project. So um, I did more research into the company. So I was like, it's super based on heritage. It's... Um, it's all Americana. And so they gave me, they, they gave me, a, a, I can't remember what the project was. I think it was about, it was something about campware or something like that. So I decided to kind of look at everything cohesively through that lens of like discovery and camping and vintage and finding things. And um, this is where I go into another one of my weird stories. So go for it. I could remember I was walking down London and I was thinking like, trying to think in my head, like, how am I going to make this special? What am I going to do for this project? And I, I, I I was walking down the street and I saw this like old, um, I think it might have been some school report and it was like an old dirty um, folder. And I was just like, oh, that's cool. It looks like it's been found. It looks like it could have been like, you know, 50 years old. And then I had this idea of like, what? Imagine if the narrative behind my project, imagine if the narrative behind my project was that I designed it like 50 years ago and it was buried, it was buried, buried, buried. And um, the person viewing it was rediscovering that work that happened in the past. Oh, like a time capsule. Like a ta- yeah, thanks. You made that really easy. But <laughs> but yeah, that kind of idea. And they kind of and then I could bring in the idea of, you know, what Abercrombie is about, the whole idea of like deconstructing things, vintage, right. and showing them I really know what the brand's about. Oh, that's so high concept and, for a test. That's cool. Yeah, and also the whole idea of like school and the idea of like Abercrombie school preppy wear right and that's kind of where my head was going and then i was like whoa cool the presentation's like a school report oh that's cool i like and that and the I whole idea that. was that i was like in the, so i was kind of like okay so i'm gonna have a sketchbook and the sketchbook's gonna show you my thinking and then i was gonna create like and then i for some this uh, this is weird that i was thinking about it now that i printed my cv on denim and i bleached it because wow. i thought it was a really such a cool idea what year time. was this <laughs> this was like um 2003 2003 wow that uh, that sounds really 2003 <laughs> I, I know it's amazing and I deconstructed the ends and ripped the ends so it's all kind of flake and I, I thought it was such a cool idea but now like think about it I think if I saw that as a CV I'll be like it's kind of cool but you should yeah. print it on paper <laughs> <laughs> you know it's really cool yeah. paper <laughs> yeah, no, exa- exactly but then the whole thing because of my textile background I, I, I was thinking that no you were taking it to your space and yeah, like what you it, were into yeah. exactly my whole idea is that you know whoever viewed it would pull it out of this package and unravel it right? and then they'd, be, they'd have to be tactile to force them to be tactile with right. it so it would kind of create an emotional attachment so um, yeah, I did the sketch. I did the sketchbook, printed the um, the CV on denim, and then um, I kind of created like storyboards of like each individual T-shirts. Then I put all that into the paper folder. Then I I wrapped up my CV, which is on the denim, around the whole <laughs> package. Really intense base up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's my heart going. <laughs> Sorry, I hate commenting on like the noise. I thought I just feel the need to address it because there will be another random noise. It is noisier than usual for a Sunday, but sorry. Yeah. And um yeah, and I just kind of I made like a stamp and stamped it. I mean I went all in and sure. then because I, I was like, Well, you know, you gotta you gotta put your best foot forward and I sent it right. out there. 
So can I ask, when you were in the process of this, did mm. you think that, wow, this is my ticket to the states right now, or this, or if I if I nail this, yeah, um, especially um, you know, like you're super talented and you're super hungry, and uh, you're in a moment in your life where anything's like wide open. Do you feel is there any anxiety about like how much of a life change this is, or this is, you're not really thinking in those terms? No, and that's a funny thing. I thought it'd be cool. <laughs> Right, but then I, I didn't really, I didn't really think about it. I was just kind of more wrapped up in the idea of like, you know, like just trying to put my best foot forward and just trying to get my work out there. I think yeah. that for me, a lot of my life is based about like, oh, opportunity. Right. Let's just see if I can get the best work out there and then right. see what happens from there. And then if something happens, then I'm gonna have to make a decision. But I think that I was at that time period of my life that I was. I was very open to opportunities. I think I still am now. Yeah, I, I agree and, with that. And I never want to. So. I don't feel that I need to put that cap on unless there's a really serious reason you know reason for it right and yeah so i mean i, I put the work out there and then i got the phone call back and I, and the funny thing was i remember i was on holiday with a friend in greece somewhere probably drunk dust on the table <laughs> like, and i'm like hanging out like, like mykonos yeah my shirt off and i'm like sam i got a phone call gotta take this and then suddenly i put the corporate voice i was like hi um, oh Abercrombie oh great great oh I'm actually on holiday at the moment <laughs> <laughs> not half cut and they're like hey we want to interview and we want to interview next week and I was like well I'm on holiday and I actually land on the Thursday and they were we want to see you on the Saturday and I'm like oh and I freaked out because I'm on holiday yeah I want to prepare myself for yes, this interview yes. but they gave they gave me a day and then it's that kind of thought it's like I've got one chance yeah and who knows if it's going to come come through again. <laughs> like an Eminem and, song. You know, it, it, it is. It, and it's, and part of me was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to fly me out. I go there. And so... So you go from Greece back to the UK. For a day. I think it's like a day. For a day. And then, and then Abercrombie flies out to the States. Yeah. And so basically my body is jack-legged as hell. I look like, not that I smoke, but I look like a sm- smoked like two bowls, whatever that is. <laughs> and I've got super red <laughs> no eye. Idea. Super red eye. <laughs> And I go into an interview, and I don't really know much about the interview process because I've never, I never really interviewed at a really big corporate company. So in my head, it's going to be like one person. So I sit in this like small booth, and then one guy comes in, and I, I tell him the story, and I'm like, I know that you're looking. Obviously, we're, we're making eye contact. I was like, I know you're looking at my eyes. I'm not on drugs. I'm just super jet like I've been on holiday because I was like, you know, you want to make the best impression, and I think that I didn't want people to make that judgment call. I was like, I'm very professional. What I try to be. For sure. <laughs> and so I have that conversation once and then I'm thinking, oh, maybe another person comes in. And then after about three people, I was thinking, this is it. And I think in the end, I got interviewed by, I think it was like five different people. Oh, wow. Different levels within the company and um, came home and then got the phone call. And the, and the funny thing is I remember about walking, walking through Abercrombie campus that it was so American to me. And I mean... I felt that Abercrombie wasn't really my style. They're just shirtless dudes like playing football in a quad or something. Yeah. and, and Wearing remi- cargo pants. It reminded me of like Dawson's Creek. And I remember I used to love Dawson's Creek as a kid, but I didn't really, I was, I would probably say that it was In terms of Dawson, like, Pacey. Exactly. I forget the girls. I can't either. Keep going. But I think in terms of the visual, the styling wasn't really my style. And I'm, I'm, I was like more of a Fred Perry, 
right, jeans right. kind of class kind of guy. So yep. I, I think I probably, wore, I think I wore that on my interview actually. I wore like a Fred Perry polo and some shorts and some trainers. Obviously, always wear heat on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> and I could just remember walking around me. I mean, I don't know if I get it, but there's some really good looking people around here, and I can handle that. <laughs> and um, so that was like my my part of like thinking maybe this is a great opportunity yeah for, totally for I am is like rainy dark and um, yeah so had the interview and everything and then I think after a month or two they're like hey you've got a job and I was like mom because <laughs> my mom because I remember the whole conversation with my mom I was like this company in America they, they, they want to interview me she's like do you want to go and I was like it's an opportunity and yeah. my dad was kind of like do it and so when I got the offer I was like it's real. They're going to give me a job. It's happening. And um, my parents said, yeah, they, were, they were all for it. And I, and the thing of the things I always respect and really have with my parents, they never told me no. Because I think that I, I was working in a space where they didn't have an, any knowledge of. And yeah. even now, my dad says, my son makes dresses. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he used to say to his friends. And I was like, dad, technically... I did it once, but I don't make <laughs> I mean, dresses. Yes, I have made a dress. <laughs> yeah. And it was a good one. <laughs> exactly. And that's what's really funny about the whole relationship. And my mom was just kind of like, you know, she's like, yeah, do whatever you need. Do, do. And um, yeah. Right. So I ended up working at um, Abercrombie. I always say through some of the glory years. So I worked in the men's team and I worked on all the, the really horrible conversation tees. The conversation tees. That's what they used to call them, conversation. So they were the, the ones that kind of said something like, I'm trying to think of a good one. Um, they would just have slogans on them. Yes, taglines. They like be yeah, they'll be like a graphic and a slogan. Oh, yeah, like, got it. I'd tap that, and there'd be like there'd be like a bottle with a man's hand hitting the top or something. Oh, that's oh, got <laughs> yeah. it. And then they would have like um, like uh, like frayed frayed sleeve edges sometimes, potentially, yeah. and then sometimes like a like a pop stitch or yeah. something. Yeah. So a lot of people would call them humities, but they're, they're, they're very much humities based got on it. college humor. So it's like sure. I, I guess like um, hot topic tees. Sure. They're kind of, but like so, a little more elevated. Yeah, I mean, but then you also have like a yeah. tag. Yeah, typically. sorry, I, I would say elevate in terms of the quality. Yeah, but in terms of the actual content, <laughs> not really highbrow. Some of it was, some yeah, of it yeah, was a yeah. look. It was the very much. It was very borderline. Sure, sure. And sure. so I think that you know, being an English guy, working with Americans, it was it was a lot of fun trying to figure. You know, it's frat boy humor. How far we can push this and what we sure. can do. Like one of one of my friends, she did this T-shirt, and there was like. Actually, it was a dog. I shouldn't really say this because people's like, I love dogs. <laughs> and there was a dog, which was a chow, and it had like a it had like a tire print over its stomach, and she and the and the slogan was chow down, which I, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny, but it was kind of sad at the same time. <laughs> I apologize to everyone who's no, like there are no chows <laughs> hurt in the making <laughs> exactly. of that T-shirt, and I do love dogs. But I just, I just felt the way she depicted the image of the t-shirt was hilarious. Wow! And how long were you at Abercrombie for? So I was there for five years. That's a long time. But, and I think for me, it was like, well, I, maybe, maybe for me, because I've never been in a place for five yeah. years. But that's funny because I feel like I, I actually mentally I have a five-year tap, and I think that but one of those things that I think that I actually love to just work through the process on something and really get to know things, and I sometimes put myself in positions of pain. Yeah. Just, just to work things out a little bit more, and I think that. I have a I have a love of martial arts as well. Right, right. And I think that when I I used to when I used to look as a kid, I used to watch and I used to love the idea of the people who were so dedicated to, to doing one thing. Yeah. And it takes a, it takes a, a strong individual to really go through the course of um, 
you know, learning that skill. And as a kid, I was like, if I really want to, you know, achieve anything, I've got to put the time in and I've got a struggle in certain things. And I mean, obviously there's going to be a time for newness, but I like that kind of mentality that it's a really strong mindset. So what, oh, sorry, you were going to say? Oh, no, no, that, that's what I was going to say. That's, that's what I was going to say. But I was going to say about the transition from Abercrombie to New York. Sure, sure. So basically, I felt that, you know, it was time for me to move on. And I was like, oh, I'm going to kind of go back to England. I've had my taste of America. Right. And I was, part of me was like, well, I don't know if I ever want to work at American because it's, it seems very similar, but similar to Abercrombie, but it's more of a fashion company. And then they offered me a little bit of money. Sure, sure. And it, and it seemed like a great opportunity. To, and I was working on men's at Abercrombie, they went to work on women's. I was thinking, well, as I said before, you know, why not? It's going to be a challenge. But then it's another um, string in my bow, bow in my string. Yeah. Whatever you want to say. Yeah. Another notch sk- on your belt. Notch on my belt. Yeah. Another skill that I could actually tr- try and master and I can like use that to propel me forward in the future. Yeah. So I think that part of me was thinking, okay, skill set, learn different things, different places, different companies. So I've always got something to give. And then, you know, maybe eventually. In X amount of years, maybe I'll be a creative director for myself or in a space where I can actually pull up on all those different experiences, all those companies and all those different kind of clients. Yeah. And also um, express the, you know, the things that I love outside the, outside of those arenas, like, you know, in terms of music and right, right. culture. Well, yeah. So when you came into New York, I guess it was different from the first time you'd been here. Um, but uh, I'm curious to know, well, even going back to Ohio, what what were the the cultural nuances, cultural differences that you felt were challenging um, from when you uh, where you came from in the UK? It was interesting. I think that people accepted me a little bit more in certain situations because I think that you know working for a corporate com- company, generally, I'm in a nicer space. In terms of, uh, I guess, I say nice space, but in terms of, you know, the places that we go as right. a company and the money that I um, put, you know, I wasn't really going to dive bars or, you know, really bad right. areas all the time. It, I mean, if I did, it was more out of choice. It wasn't out of necessity. Yeah. So I could easily take myself out of a really bad environment very quickly. Right. Without having, if that makes any sense. No, that makes sense. And then I think that the fact that I was English, that people wouldn't really mess with me because I think that they... They, they saw me as a tourist and they like, he seems kind of educated, but he knows yeah, yeah, yeah. certain things. He knows his way around. And I think that there was a, cer- a there's a certain level of respect that I got that I realized that other people around me didn't really get that. Yeah. They treated in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came to New York, um, was a, what was that like? When would you came back to New York rather? I don't know. It was, it was, I'm trying to think. It, it was really straight. It was really interesting because I, I had a lot of friends who, from Abercrombie, he moved to New York. So I instantly kind of hung out with those people. Did that feel like a logical and, move for yeah, a lot it, of people in your position? Yeah, and it felt natural. It felt easy in a way. And I think that just through the, the, the new company I worked for, I actually met new friends who were fairly local to the area. So right. I had friends who lived in Brooklyn. Some people moved out, moved out to Brooklyn. Oh, sorry, what's it called? Um, Bushwick. Yeah. Oh, then, where we are now. Bushwick. We are now, funny enough. And I had friends who lived in Chelsea, upstate. So I, I had like a really varied breath of friends. And I guess like in very, in very different social environments as well. So I think that just hanging out with those people that it, it kind of made me open to just New York being this big melting pot of cultures. And I think that when I have met anyone new, I always had something to talk about. Right. Because of the, all the experience I've had in the past that I never... 
there was not many, many times where I was like, uh, I'm kind of really uncomfortable. I need to get out. Yeah. I kind of used to kind of just be able to, you know, blend in. Yeah. A chameleon of culture. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what was your main, uh, what what was your role out here working in women's wear? Um, so I, I was basically kind of like, so based on all my experience, I became more of a, a, a graphic um, t-shirt designer. So I'd work on like um, women's t-shirts for the main line. So it was kind of, some of, some of the t-shirts were kind of illustration based yeah. and some of them were based on techniques, you know, like applique, um, or it could be like um, cut and sew. Yeah. Where it's things that are kind of specially made, put together. I think this is the best way to say it. I'm trying to think of the best way of describing it, but I guess that's pretty much what cut and sew. Like special, like an engineered, Yeah. something specifically engineered. Yeah, like a, like an, a hoodie with a special pocket, that kind of thing, right. rather than a, a really basic kind of style. Gotcha. So I worked on a, a lot of those things, and um, yeah, and then... Then how did the swoosh come into your life? Yeah, so this is where it's really funny because um, there's so there's a group of because this is where our world starts to align. Yeah, and this is what's really interesting because I I mean I was always into sneakers. Yeah, like, all my friends know I'm the guy because I think living in Ohio there wasn't really much to do and I was like sneakers are cheaper than England. I'm gonna I'm going to like double down and uh, and I remember going to Foot Locker and there was like you know buy two shoes. No, what was it what was this? It was like, buy two, get one free. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I'd be stacking <laughs> up on my Jordans or whatever. Like, I had right. a, a stack of over 100 before I let, before I even like worked at Nike. Oh, I bet. And I was just trying to pick up heat because I was like, I don't know how long I'm staying in New York for. And I was like... Right. And you know. met LeBron in Ohio. Well, yeah, I went to a game. So I was like picking up all these shoes. And then, um, so we, I remember me and these other guys, we, we always have lunch outside um, the library in New York, New, so New York Library with the, one, the big lines out front. So one of my friends, he's like, uh, he was like, I've got an interview with Nike. And I'm like, what? And I got really excited. I was like, you're going to Nike. And I was like, discount. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, well, I don't know what to wear. Because I, I don't wear Nikes. I only wear Vans. I was like, don't worry. I've got you. And, and you're both like, the same shoe size. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, well, you know, go to Nike. I'm going to give you some heat. Because <laughs> you want to be nice. You want people to know that you know your stuff. So I, the funny thing was, I ended up giving a pair of shoes for his interview at Nike. And he got the job. What shoes were they? Um, I, I think they were like probably Air Max, Air Max 95s. Sure, sure. They might have been pink or something. They, they were pretty crazy, whatever they were. They were right. They were pretty fly. Right, something classic. <laughs> yeah, something classic but fly. <laughs> <laughs> always fly. That's what I think of you, Derek. You're classic but fly. That's how I always associate you in my head. Yeah. So, yeah, so he ended up getting the job at Nike and then there was, sort of, there was three of us and we were like, wouldn't it be really cool? if? We what were- era was this? So I'm trying to think now. So it's like 2012, I think. Got it, okay. So he was the first one to be picked by Nike. So we were like, wouldn't it be really cool if we all got jobs at Nike? And I remember we all had this conversation. It was one of the weirdest things. I don't know whether we spoke it into reality. Yeah. But then within a couple of months, the guy that I used to work with directly, he went to Nike. So he got a job at Nike. And then I was like, I was kind of bummed because I was the only one who really liked Nike. These guys were just <laughs> you like... You don't know they cared about the brand. <laughs> exactly. And um, all these degenerates are getting it. They don't deserve it. <laughs> well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> the business is still there. <laughs> and then, um, so there's two of us. And then the funny thing was, then I got the phone call. No, I got the text. And it was like, we've got a job at this level. And I was like, and they're like, and then they looked at my scene. They're like, yeah, you should get something a little bit higher based on experience. I was like... I'll be a junior. I was like, wow. I just want to work at Nike. I don't care about levels. It, to me, it was all about the work. It's like, you give me opportunity as a junior, I will enjoy it and just do what I have to do. Right. 
and then she was like, no. And I, and I felt that my chance had gone. And then um, the funny thing was, I think a couple of months later, there's like, told me about a job. And then I was having lunch and I bumped into one of the guys who, who used to have lunch with. And he was like, Derek, I didn't interview at Nike hmm. for this position. And I was like, oh, I'm going for that position. <laughs> Which was really funny. So we both interviewed for the same position. So he came back and I flew out for the same position. Yeah, to and Oregon. I, yeah, to Oregon. And then, um, I don't know. And then I, I think part of me was kind of like, you know, if I get flown out, I'm getting the job. Yeah, that, that's my mentality and, too. And if you're flying me out, I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I think I had it and I was like, I feel like I've, I've done my best thing and then I didn't get it. And, oh. I, and it kind of shook my, and I was so bummed. And I was like, uh, and then a couple of weeks later, they're like, well, we like you, but we felt that th- that job wasn't, wasn't the right fit for you and then I was like okay this is cool had another phone interview then they were like no we like you we like your work but you don't do enough pattern work which I think is this is the most important thing she said that I didn't do enough pattern work but I was like I can do pattern work right <clears throat> and ironically would this be creating uh, creating the repeat swatches or and like uh, working with the applications of those swatches something along those yeah, lines yeah repeat repeat pans or that kind right. of thing and the funny thing was I had a textile background so I was like I can do that, but I actually haven't got a lot of that represented in my portfolio. Right. So I was kind of bummed thinking, I'm I'm going to forget about Nike and just work somewhere else. There's going to be another company. And then they came back again. So I had a conversation with this guy and he's like, love your style. I want you in. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, right, okay. I want you in. And then he called me again and we had a conversation for an hour. We seemed to kind of click and I was thinking, oh, this could be it. And then he's like, I got you basically. So then in my brain's going again, my brain's thinking, all I need to do is go meet him, whatever, it's cool. And I didn't think, and after I had my phone interview with him, I didn't really think I had to go for another interview. So I basically, they fly me out to Portland again. Yeah. So I'm thinking this is just kind of like- Wow, to, a lot to, of plane tickets. To, to, to close, yeah, to close the loop. Did you then, just stay at the nines <laughs> at either of those times? I, or? Unfortunately, I didn't. Oh, okay. Now I'm bitter. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I had another, uh, so I thought I was going to have like a small interview with him. It was like a big presentation with me and some other people. And then, yeah, and then I actually got the job. And then, yeah, we're available. And what was the job exactly? So I was going to work in, I was going to work in North America as a, a graphic designer for products. Yeah. You did a lot of the N7 collaborations, which I thought were like really yeah. great. So uh, so that's what was really interesting. I think when I, when I actually got to Nike, though t- I was told about that project and I was like, that, 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 um, initiative. That, yeah. And I was like, well, to be honest, I've never heard of it. Right. And they showed me the work and I was like, oh, it's interesting. But I was like, well, I feel that I said to be, to be honest, as a, as a consumer, I, I guess I was a pretty a tier one consumer that I only, I was looking at the tier ones and zeros, which are much more pinnacle in right. terms of the presentation. So anything. Oh that man, your your like, t- your language is taking me all the way back. <laughs> you taking me back to campus, bro. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm trying to use language that everyone just, would understand. I'm just like tier yeah. one and pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of like pinnacle, it's more of like the yeah. really unique limited edition style. So I think that as a sneaker guy, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to say I'm a sneaker head, but I'd always love things which are a bit more unique in terms of the yeah. styling. So when I shopped or bought things, I'd always buy at that level. So when I saw the products, I was like, I've never heard of it, but I like to thought that I had a lot of knowledge in that space. Yeah. Which was good in a way because I felt that it was something that I could improve in terms right. of bringing my knowledge of just the things I liked into that space. Yeah. And then the funny enough, one of my first projects um, was, well, was a collaboration with Pendleton. 
Pendleton Company. And it was another Oregon based company. Yeah, which they're kind of really well known for designing blankets. Yeah. Making or designing and making really high quality wool blankets. Right. And and they helped uh, push out the uh, native print in native pattern, especially with like that opening ceremony collection from a couple of years ago. Yeah. That was like, that was really out there. But I think within, I think within the company, they're really well respected in the native American community because yeah. it was founded around the, t- I can't we'll probably get this wrong, but it's in the, was it 1920? I'm probably got that completely wrong. So try to ignore that number. <laughs> but, <laughs> but keep talking. I'm going to look it up for you. But they're very much like integrated in Native American culture. So a lot of the native tri- so the Native American tribes, they shared their blankets with the founder of Pendleton, who's English, and he basically produ- mass produced their designs. So he took a lot of that language from the from the I guess from the source and mass produced it to a certain level and he kind of gave some of those blankets back to the communities and and then they built that relationship the company's roots began in 1863 oh when thomas lk (laughs) made a transcontinental trek to the west coast and began working in oregon's woolen mills and he's english too there you go wow yeah oh maybe that's just a dude well the guy's he's actually an english guy Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, which I think was pretty amazing. So, yeah, so my first job was basically to design a blanket. And I thought, this is ironic considering... And you did all the Marvel blankets and also the Star Wars blankets yeah. for Pendleton. And considering the first job that I was offered in Pendleton, they didn't give it to... Sorry, at Nike. Well, the second job, they didn't give it to me because I didn't do patterns. Which I thought was kind of funny. I was like... Those fools. A- another full circle here. <laughs> What do you think, um, of your time in Oregon, what do you think is your favorite projects that you worked on? I mean, Holistic of Nike, Pendleton, like, or anything else. Like, what, do you, what, what do you think really stood out within your time? To be honest, I, I think it was the Pendleton project. I think it was because it was my first and I had so much control. And my boss was kind of like, in the respect of, this is our baby. Right. And we're going to do whatever we want. We're going to, I am going to shove all the noise and you don't have to, and we're just going to do it. We're going to research it the way we want to research it. We're going to talk to Pendleton, the company. We're going to get their feedback. And the great thing about Pendleton, they were very receptive to, to everything. So the whole kind of, the whole idea behind the collaboration that we were actually going to do a true collaboration. So we're going to utilize Nike's innovation and you, you know, use Pendleton's know-how and also use the quality and, and use the quality in the, the product they kind of produced. Yeah. And um, so I would, me and my boss and other people would actually, so we we actually sat down and wrote down all the innovations we could do. And then we went back to the panel team and said, can we do this? And they were like, some of the things that were like, yes. Some, some things were like, we can't do that mass production. So we really got to a really good space between us as companies that we were both happy with the end result. Right. And it was a mutual... <laughs> back and forth and you guys felt yeah. like you were giving of each other yeah very given and I think the panels were very receptive to everything I mean they were an amazing I mean I've, I've actually worked with panels a lot and they're actually an amazing company to work with because they're very receptive to new ideas have you maintained that relationship with them um well I mean I think it's become it's weird to say but I think they've become like an extended family Oh, that's so interesting. Because I've, I did. You one, went to the Pendleton Rodeo too, exactly. And not a lot of people go to the Pendleton Rodeo, exactly. So I had an invite from the founder of Pendleton. So, and the funny, I've actually designed, I think, maybe fourteen blankets. Or wow, I, I, I've actually lost wow. count. That's how it is. Like fourteen blankets. So I think like the. Have you done any past Marvel Star Wars from a couple of years ago? 
not recently. So I think I worked on the very first set of um, I think what I did. It was yeah, so it's Star Wars, the original Star Wars blankets I did, and then I worked on Marvel. And then it was, and then it was the I guess the second editions of those blankets. So wow, yeah. But yeah, so I think based on working on those projects, that they got used to my style of working, and if they became really open. But the, the, the trickier things with those other blankets is we had to deal with Disney as well. So it was kind of like there's three of us. It's like three of us in the place in there. <laughs> and obviously you've got to keep everyone happy and it's it's really it's really hard to keep everyone happy because I, I think that in terms of when I started working on um, the Star Wars blankets I, I'm really excited about Star Wars and I, I had all these visions of like what it could look like yeah and so when I designed it I wanted it to look more kind of Star Wars and more futuristic yeah but then also like taking a small element of Pendleton into the blankets right but obviously enough that you know you know what it's about I and what are they saying about. Disney's saying you gotta put BB-8 in it or something yeah they kinda did and they're like well we want these characters and we really want to turn up the patterns as well we want you to turn up like cause I think I'm trying to think how I had it first so I think the initial designs the Star Wars characters were very kind of it was very much scenic and then the Pendleton kind of like I guess geometrics were very much um, more landscape so it kind of flowed a little bit more. They felt more like kind of poster ideas. Sure. That's probably the best way to describe it. Rather than clips from the film. And I think that from liaising with Pendleton and Star Wars, sorry, like Disney, Disney's wanted it to be a lot of Pendleton. They wanted the pants to be really punchy. Right. Really colourful and punchy. And then they were like, well, we want the characters to be punchy too. We want it to be like bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and I think that if that makes sense, they want it to all be shooting off and I think that my vision was like you know the hero piece is Star Wars and the penalty is the second thing and it was just yeah it's just one of those things that just, we just, it just took a time to to get those things out and I think that there's certain things that I love yeah they're more like what I want it to be and there's other things where, which they're great but I think in terms of the way it's coloured that the way I had certain, certain designs they're, they're all things that are very punchy and there's things that are very faded sure. for, for a reason visually and I think that because of the process that everything got punched up. That, sure. Yeah. It's interesting when I when I visited the Pendleton factory out there, um, I was I was amazed at well the, the sheer size of their production was actually pretty fascinating. The process. Yeah. But the what they could achieve visually with the blankets, like seeing yeah. like just neon colors and like just the sheer brightness, because something would some things would look more conservative than others, and like where it was more traditional palette, and yeah. they kind of feel very like you know ingrained in something like you know connected to the to the earth you know and then other stuff was just wild and i was like yo yeah. i was like i don't know what y'all were doing when you made that blanket but that is crazy so <clears throat> that's that's really interesting i think that's what the great thing about because of the heritage well you can actually see when you actually look at their collection you can actually see the heritage from the different tribes yeah that ride through some of the blankets and yes. you can see that the new innovations well where they actually have very kind of contemporary designs and it all fits really nicely in in the space that yeah. obviously like with every business you've got to find a market to grow in that there's yeah. only so many blankets you have yeah I mean I've got too many blankets <laughs> and not enough beds you just, you just really warm out there <laughs> well exactly I, I was like I always say like I, I'm good if I'm homeless because I'll be the guy like in Pendleton blankets I'll probably be the, <laughs> the, the homeless Pendleton guy <laughs> yo it's Pendleton guy I love Pendleton guy he's always got a nice blanket <laughs> 
So, so you're back in the UK now. Yeah. Uh, so can I ask, like, what is uh, from a from a person who's who's come to the states, who's left the states? Uh, you know, like you you you've done something that a lot of people in this podcast have not done. Like, yeah. like what well, what's the mindset? Like, uh, do do you think do you, do you miss the states? Are you glad you're back? Like, do you think America failed you on some level? Like, like what what's where, what's your thought on? on leaving coming back or you just you wanted to leave for personal reasons like what is it well it's, it's weird because I think that you know when I was a kid I, I always had visions of things it's always like when I, I think that when I was maybe like 15 I was like it'd be cool to work out it's cool to be at art college then I was at art college and I was like oh it kind of be cool to work at Nike and then so I was, I was working at Nike and I, and I remember like in my early 30s in my early 30s or whatever that I thought well by the time I hit 40 I want to have my own thing right I want to try and be I want to be at a level where I feel like I'm highly skilled and I, I just really want to do it. And then I think that I, I felt it creeping up. Yeah. And I was like, I like Nike, but I feel that my gut instinct saying there's something, there's something here. You've said something to yourself right. and you haven't done it. You're just another person talking their dream, but not actually pursuing it. And then right. part of me was like, I felt this really pull that I was like, well, if I want to be the designer that I, I want to be and also be in a position to really express yeah. what I've learned I've actually got to follow my gut instinct. I'm not saying that I'm never going to come back, but I felt right. that at that particular time that I needed to break the space to actually grow again. That yeah. I think that everything, every time I have this gut instinct about going, it's go, I have to. I feel like I need to go because it's it's like I don't know. It's like my, the universe, or it's like my psyche telling me that you got to go to grow to something else. It's funny, into a new space. Yeah, it's funny because you and I left at around the same time. Yeah, we left Portland around the same time. Yeah. And also, we left the company around the same time, yeah. um, and for the same reasons. I know that we would, we would have these conversations, yeah. you and I, just out yeah. to lunch on campus. It was like you know about personal growth and about yeah. wanting to keep pushing, and it's like in order to push, we felt that we both had to like make the hard decision. Yeah, like how how hard was the decision for you? It was hard, enough, but I think it was one of those things that I think I, I always felt it. It was like I think probably like a year before I left, I kind of felt it. I went home and I was like. I kind of, I kind of need to work in Europe, and it's weird, it's weird as that because I think that I, in my head I, as a kid I always was like, I want to be. I always, when I was fifteen, I, I kind of said to myself, the coolest job in the world would be an international designer. Yeah, like be a designer where I can actually work. James Bond design. Yeah, exactly. That I can, I could go to Japan and work in Japan. I can go to like America, and I think that you know I, I've always had these ideas in the back of my mind, and I think that that's kind of where my lust for travel has happened and culture that I've kind of been living that thing without thinking about it. Right. And then um, because of that, I actually kind of felt that pull to kind of come back to England. But then when I came back to England, I was like, I didn't, I don't really think this is the end of the chapter. That a lot of people are like, you're never going to come back. But I was like, I have. Right. I came, when I was a, when I was a Duke, when I was an intern, I, I worked in America, went to England, then I came back. So in my mind, the doors are always open. So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, could be back tomorrow next year. So I was like, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm always around. I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> and then maybe one day I might settle down, but the way I kind of feel that, you know, the world is full of opportunities. And if there's an opportunity that feels right to me, that I'm always going to take the opportunity. So wherever it is. How do you feel about uh, America right now? When you, having visited, like, you know, at various points within yeah. the last couple of years, I suppose, like, what do you think? Do you feel like you left the situation <laughs> that you needed to leave? It's weird because I think that, I've been kind of fortunate to, you know, work with some really talented people, but really open-minded. Yeah. 
And I think that, you know, within a creative space, you work with people from different nationalities and, and I like to think that most have less social um, biases or, um, I mean, you, everyone has, everyone puts people into boxes, but I like to think that most people's boxes change. And so I think that in respect of, it's been a really wonderful experience working in those, in those settings. But then I also realize that how fractured society is within America, within England, and then, you know, the, you know, what people say and what people feel comfortable saying and people don't really feel that, um, there's, well, I think there's a, a lack of kind of humanity sometimes. And I mean, I've heard things where I'm just, I have to call people out. I'm like, you can't say that. And I think that in England, it, it might kind of be kind of, you know, race things about Muslims and Christians and, I mean, I hear people say, why do Muslim people have to wear those things? Da, da, da. And I would always say, you know, why is that any different to, you know, a Christian nun wearing, right. her, wearing her thing? And it's like, you know, who who are you to say that somebody can't... Someone's say? thing is like just as good as someone else's thing. Exactly. And who are you to not let someone celebrate their religion right. or what they believe in? And that's what really upsets me that a lot of people don't like something. So they feel that people can't celebrate that. And for right. me, is that that's the beauty of life is that you have a diverse group of friends or people around you that have different views, hopefully not extremist views, of course. Sure, sure, sure. But in terms of they they celebrate different religions or they come from a different culture, different place. But the fact is that, you know, we're all human beings, but we can, all, we can share um, our joys in life. Right. As people that, you know, you can tell me that you're Muslim and you celebrate in this one I don't know much about the religion but I have friends who are and when I go around their houses I'm I'm always interested to to see you know how they live their life because I don't live that life and I'm from a totally different background but I respect that because they respect me and I think that a lot of people are not in that situation to be exposed to different people of different race or cultures so they have one experience with someone then they they kind of presume that everyone's the same yeah and I think it's like, but I can also respect that in the fact that, you know, if you get bitten by a dog once when you're a kid, you're always a bit wary around dogs. Yeah. And I think that that kind of played in some people's minds where they have one bad experience and they always hold that yeah. against other people. So I personally see myself as like an ambassador. Uh-huh. An ambassador of culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ambassador of like, you know, the things that I've seen in my life and where I come from and yeah. my experience. So I'm kind of, I've always liked to people, well, you know, this is what I do. I mean, I haven't always won in things. I mean, I've done really badly, but I've also had level of success. But the thing about life is that you've got to enjoy those moments. The bad moments make the the great moments what they are. Yeah. Because if, if everyone in your life is going to be great, then it's a very boring life. Totally. So uh, let me ask while we're winding down, uh, yeah. what are you working on right now? Anything cool coming down the pike Ooh, for well, Derek or Roberts? Well, I feel like I'm actually starting. I'm actually working as a freelancer, which is a very exciting place for me because I think I've always seen myself as a bit of a wheeler dealer. Sure, and I agree with that. Another funny story is that when I was like when I was maybe like 11 years old, um, I used to sell drawings. I said so. I always used to draw pictures, and then I had this idea that I used to do these like rave flyers, but I wasn't old enough to go to a rave, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. So I draw these black and white pictures, and then I'd go to the I'd go to the office and. I'd get a copy from, you know, the office worker. I was like, can I have a copy? And they're like, yeah. And then one day I was like, can I have 50 copies? And she's like, yeah, for free. Oh. And so I'd go to the office and I'd get 50 pictures of my drawing. 
and then I'd sell them to all the kids in my class for 10 pence. I'll be like, okay, you don't need to, if I give you my, if I give this picture, just give me 10p and then you don't have to go to the photocopier. And they were like, yeah. So every day I'd go to the photocopier, get these pictures and I'd sell them and the kids would come buy them off me. And what? Then, and, like, and, like, uh, like trading cards. Yeah. So basically I would pay nothing for these. I'd draw the picture, go to the office, get 50 copies, charge all these other kids 10p. I mean, it sounds silly now, like 10p, 20p. Yeah. I'd make my lunch money and my mum would give me my lunch money too. So I'd always, and I did that for, I don't know, I did that for about a year and it, it's really funny because my friends back in my hometown, they still talk about it and there was some situations times where I'd have like one image and I'd be like, okay, it's my last one, 20p, doubling up. <laughs> people were like, I really want that and they'd bite off me and to this day, people were like, I've still got your fly from when you're like 12 years old, like picture on your wall and I think it's funny because I think that that's, always been ingrained in me like you can see that I always talk about the full circle thing that a lot of the things I, I do now are based on things I did as a kid about like a hustle mentality my, yeah t- about testing myself doing something different and flipping the script interacting moving and just being trying different things with different people yeah yeah um, so I pretty answer your question did I <laughs> no 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 no. you're good like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, new projects yes okay yes. so uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually, so as a freelancer, I've been picking up different projects. I've been working in like kind of promotional space. I'll be, I was working with a, a promotional, promotional company in England that were doing flyers and laminates for an, a music event in Soho. That was one thing that I was working on. And, and now I'm, I'm actually waiting um, to start a job working on innovational concepts. I can't give the name away at the moment. Gotcha. But working for very sports brands. Gotcha. And I'll be kind of working on innovation. So it can be working on packaging for special presentations or special events. So, you know, hence like Nike might have a special football event right. in London. Got it. And they, they have jerseys made. I'll be working on the jerseys and, you know, figuring out the illustrations or, the, you know, the, the basic kind of concept. That's one idea, but sure. it could be could be anything basically it's just like i'm the concept guy yeah 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 guys. totally that's tight yeah um so one last thing what are your top three favorite sneakers Oof, oh this, this is i could, I could be here get as there. specific I, I, as possible i'm, I'm starting to sweat <laughs> <laughs> this is the hard one well i think it's got to be the, my favorite the ones at the moment that i'm wearing are oh the far pack air max ones At- atmos atmos animal, animal pack animal pack yeah 90s no, no, no! I love those, but those aren't the re-release. Those are pre. No, no, these are the re-release. These actually. are the re-release. Yeah. Don't you have another colorway of those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have the ninety ninety eights. No, no, so not ninety ninety seven. Sorry. You have the ninety sevens. Yeah, the nineties and ninety seven. In the animal pack. Yeah. Got it. Okay. But I think it's funny because I think that most of my favorite shoes are the Atmos ones. Like I have the Atmos camo ones. I think okay. they're, I think they're, they're from. You were like, they're, they're kind of a duck camo, the duck camo the ones. Duck camo. Yeah. Atmos duck camo. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, they're pretty fly. I gotta Google the front. <laughs> <laughs> Atmos duck camo. What? Uh, ni- um, yeah, a- Air Max nineties. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, I saw you wearing these the other day. Okay. Yeah. 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 Classics. Yeah. So I think that they're classics. Like, I think that they're one of my favorite pairs. Oh, they're on StockX for eight hundred bucks right now. Yeah, there you go. What else? Give me, give me a couple others. I need, uh, I, I need I, to. Know I, actually, I actually love Easy Twos, but I don't like, I don't like to wear. 
in terms of comfort, well, you have the red Octobers, right? Or you have another color? No, I have the black and the gray ones. Gotcha, Latino. black and grays. In terms of, I love the design, but I don't like the comfort. Oh, really? Why? I think it's the heel because it's got like a very kind of hard heel, and it doesn't seem very. Um, oh, like that molded. Yeah, that molded heel. And I always, I always find after a certain amount of time, it's really uncomfortable. But in terms of the aesthetic, I really love the way it looks, and I think that I also love the kind of classic um, Jordan Three. Oh yeah, love a Jordan Three. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Three is a so that's think, a solid one. Yeah, I think that's pretty much they're pretty much like my favorite favorite shoes. Really? But I guess it's like silhouette. I mean, in terms of the, those particular styles, but I guess that those silhouettes I warm to quite a lot. Right. Huh. As shoes, yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. Derek Roberts, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you in my home. Well, it's been beautiful being here, and you know, so it's, it's, I was gonna say it's um. It's never a chore. It's always pleasure, never a chore. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, brother. Okay, thank you. All right, bye. So thanks, Derek, for coming through. It's actually just nice to catch up with an old friend. And I want to give it up to Desjin, our sponsor, Ben Sounds on Music. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you want to follow me on social media, it's rich underscore TU on Instagram, Twitter, and all those other places. Thanks for listening to First Generation Burden. I'm Rich Too. Bye. Bye.